Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Hey, what's shaking, Gamer Nation? Steve and Steve back in the house here. How you doing today, Steve? Well, I'm I'm shaking and a bacon. <laughs> uh, how's life been since we almost blew up Eberron? Well, you know, life's been pretty good. I was excited. I was really excited. A little bit of backstory. I'm running an Eberron campaign where there's a very good chance that they could blow up the entire planet. And they came real close to doing it. And it was justified. I was proud of my players because I've never had my players justifiably end a campaign so abruptly. <laughs> and then I had, as the dark and brooding warlock, because, like, who would play any other kind of warlock? I had to talk down the insane druid warforged. <laughs> after, after behest from your, from your, uh, patron. Yeah, well. <laughs> your patron's like, hey, uh, you think this is a bad idea? I think this is a bad idea. <laughs> oh. But anyway. So I guess before we get launched into everything, we probably ought to do our D20 shout out as we are proud members of the D20 Radio Network and there's a bunch of really great podcasts on this network, people. So go check some of them out. And the one I want to highlight, it's called the Miskatonic University Podcast. And it's run by a handful of guys, Keeper Dave, Keeper John, Keeper Murph, at least, and there may be more. I haven't I haven't actually gotten a chance to listen to a ton of their episodes yet, but they're they're really good and, and they as you might guess from the name, they're based around Call of Cthulhu and the Cthulhu mythos and assorted other Cthulhu games, but they also really like just weird games, be it Troika or Aliens or any of the stuff like that. So if you're into that kind of game, those kind of movies, that kind of stuff, go check them out. It's a really good listen. I like it. I like Miskatonic University. I got to shout them out too because I got turned on them by listening to their Troika playthrough and it's so good. That's a weird, weird, weird game. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Everything they talk about on that show, I'm like, yep, mm-hmm, yeah, that's up my alley. Yep, there it is. All right, that's cool. Hey, I like this. <laughs> the episode after that one gave me some really good ideas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you want to talk about Beg, Borrow, and Steal. Oh, yeah. Steal, your, steal, steal some ideas from Miskatonic University. And what's even crazier is they have their own Discord channel. Mm-hmm. And so I joined up and like the conversations that happen on there are like taking the podcast and just, you know, like the tangents that we go on. Well, they do it, except they don't do it on the air. They just do it on the discord. Nice. And so they actually keep going with the tangents. It's, it's quite good. So moving on from that, what are we talking about today, Steve? I think we're talking about when things go boom. Well, let's talk about a night when things went boom. I got an email. Oh, you did? <laughs> I did. <laughs> Okay, I know who you got this email from. <laughs> I think what that was supposed to be is is a reminder. Yeah, well, he, he he did ask me to talk about this this on the air. Do you want to talk about it, or would you like me to read the email I received? <laughs> oh, um, not that I don't trust him, but let's save that for a time when we don't have a a topic planned. Okay. Because that, that's that's a story and a half, well, and it leads into a couple other stories. Okay. I'll tell you what. We're going to back burner the email. Uh, okay. We'll just say it's it was the night that Bubble went crazy. Yes. And uh, I got that. I opened up the podcast email today. I'm like, all right, we're going to sit down. We're going to record. Uh, open up the podcast email and take a, oh, that's a thing and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So thank you, Lucifer, for the email. Yeah. Thank you for the email. I, we really appreciate it. I got a laugh out of it. Yeah, well, you've you've heard bits of the story. I but... have heard it from your side, but I haven't heard it from the player's side. Okay, to, for for reference, his character was the one being introduced that kind of started the chain of events. I I picked up on that. Okay. Yeah, you'll have to forward me that email. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll I'll get it over to you. But um, yeah, I I just thought that would be fun. I was like. 
ooh, I want to bring this up to Steve. <laughs> yeah, I would like to read it just because it'll probably jog my memory with various things because you know, this is an event that happened, oh, let's see, I would have been 19 or 20. So I've hit myself in the head a lot over that time period. But we're talking about the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Well, that or Christmas at Ground Zero. Yeah, I love Christmas at Ground Zero. I just listened to that song earlier. I was listening to it earlier this week as well. No, literally was... earlier before you came on. Ah, okay. <laughs> I was actually trying to find out a way to get a hold of Weird Al Yankovic this week to see if we could use it on the podcast. <laughs> because I, yeah. why not? Yeah, I wish, but I'm sure he's busy doing yeah. cameos and literally everything. I swear that man shows up in everything I'm watching. <laughs> he's going to be on Mandalorian this week. I just got a feeling. Fair enough. One of these days I need to sit down and watch that when, you know, I'm not spending half of my life at work. I know. I, I know the feeling. <laughs> Trust me. It's, it's, yeah. But yeah, I was going to say enough, enough beating around the bushes. What we decided we were going to talk about this week was, well, apocalypse, post-apocalypse game settings, because well, both of us are fans and there's a lot of people out there who are as well. Can we talk about a pre-apocalypse game setting? Eh? Okay. So Morkborg, which we've talked about before. Oh. Yeah, Morkborg fits, because Morkborg's too cool not to fit. Well, Morkborg is like, I think the book describes it as about two minutes till the apocalypse. Yeah, it's a countdown to the apocalypse. Yeah, it's basically, it's, it's, this is happening, there's nothing you can do about it, it's too late. Yeah. And Morkborg is such a dark, oppressing game, that it's so perfect that it's just like, oh yeah, and the world's gonna end, so all this terrible what's happening is, is just... It's not, it's inevitable. It's just going to be terrible forever. It's so, like, it's so evocatively done. Like, I, I seriously, I, I, I'm going to order that book one of these days just, just to have it, even if we never get to play it, because, like, just the website enough alone is enough to just, like, it's like, wow. Well, that book is amazing. Like, I have it now, and I'm like, this is fantastic. I really... Really love Morkborg. I also want to talk about a couple other games that are two minutes to the apocalypse. Okay. One of them being, if you're playing Call of Cthulhu right or wrong, you could be two minutes from the apocalypse. Yeah. Because I know how a lot of, well, not a lot, but some Call of Cthulhu games that play with the actual big men, they can mm -hmm. end in the world ending. Tis true. Delta Green, that's another one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, usually the stakes aren't quite that high, but... Yeah, it's yeah, a possibility. It's a possibility. It's it's very possible that you play high-level Delta Green and, you know. And depending on your definition of apocalypse, I mean, cyberpunk. <laughs> well, I, I was thinking about that today. You know, it, it does have some, definitely some, some post-apocalyptic or traditional apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic elements to it. It does. Like I said, it depends on your definition of apocalypse. Well, in a sense, if nothing else, it's probably a social apocalypse. Well, yeah. In, a, in the case of a cyberpunk game. But I think maybe the place to start is what defines an apocalypse. And, you know, I actually, like, tried to do some preparation for this episode instead of just making it all up as I sit here in front of the microphone. So I looked it up and I, and I copied and pasted it into a little document so that I would not forget where I'd looked it up. But the definition I found that I liked for our purposes in, in gaming is that it's an event involving destruction or damage on an awesome or catastrophic scale. I mean... Okay, then I've had a lot of apocalypses in my gaming career. <laughs> well, I guess in, in this case, I would say it's, it's... traditional awesome and traditional... Well, I mean, awesome, I think, meaning grand scale, not right. as in, oh, that was spectacular. To, to look at movies, I mean, you've got everything from, you know, I mean, obviously your classics, you know, Mad Max and Planet of the Apes, but even, like, if you really think about it, like... The Postman is a post-apocalyptic movie. I don't remember if they even revealed what the cause of whatever the hell made everything... Well, yeah, and The Postman, the Postman was, it was sort of a knockoff Waterworld. Yeah, well... In a way. And there's another one that... Waterworld, yeah, and that's post-apocalyptic. Day After Tomorrow, in a lot of ways, when, you know, they didn't take it long-term, it was more apocalyptic, not post-apocalyptic. Wasn't that the one with the giant snowstorm... Hits New York or something? Day off tomorrow. Yeah, that's that's the one where the giant snowstorm hits hits New York. It's supposed to be like a global warming freezing event. Yeah, yeah. 
you're movie buff. I'm sure you've got more. 28 Days Later, that's a post-apocalypse movie. That's a zombie movie, but yeah. Almost any zombie movie is a post-apocalypse movie. Yeah, they're, they're a very common, very common type, cause type thing for apocalypses. You have other apocalypse movies that take place post-post-apocalypse, so I was telling you earlier about uh, Daybreakers, the vampire mm-hmm. movie. That's post-apocalypse, according if depending on which side you follow. Yeah, well, that's the other thing, is, is to a certain point, an apocalypse can be defined by how you're viewing it. Look, I mean, like, if, if you're playing a game where you're living as fish in a stream and a pair of blue herons moves into the neighborhood, that's an apocalypse. Yeah, I mean, it's... Maybe a bit of an obscure reference, but you know, <laughs> a little bit. But I got gotcha. you. I I followed your I followed your logic. But no, it, it's it's all from your perspective because uh, what is the mouse game? Mouse guard, mouse ridder, a couple of them. Mouse guard. That's the one I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. Uh, mouse guard could be a apocalypse game. As a matter of fact, that might be a really fun one to play post apocalypse. Mm-hmm. So I had a couple ideas for games that would be fun to play set in a post apocalypse. Mm-hmm. The first one that came to mind was Vampire the Masquerade, as I'm working on a vampire story that's set in the post-apocalypse, because that would be fun to me. Another fun game to play set in the post-apocalypse would be Delta Green. Play Delta Green set in the post-apocalypse. <laughs> that's weird. Yeah. Basically going, uh, the team screwed up and the world is ending, or the world is over and this team screwed up, you know. Well, I don't know much about it. I know there's a title out there called Apocathulu? Yeah, I know there is that title. I actually, I think one of the guys on the Miski U podcast contributed to some stuff for that game. Yeah, I mean, there's an option. Just cool stuff, you know? Yeah, and that's the thing is, so an apocalypse, even by the definition we had earlier to kind of spin back around to where we were going, it's not anything in specific. You know, it doesn't mean that it's a desert planet or whatever, you know, like Mad Max or, or, or whatever. Like you've mentioned, you know, there's zombies, there's World War Three, there's natural disasters, you could have it be the cause of an alien invasion, or asteroids, or a disease that causes a zombie infestation. Yeah. Are there any of those in particular that you enjoy, or that anything else you want to add into that kind of list? Um, I do enjoy me some, some World War Three. that can be a fun time, just playing with political intrigue. Probably do some fun stuff with the spy game set right around World War Three. That, or, well, I'm just waiting to get the new T2K. Yeah, Twilight 2000, that's a good one. I just imagine, what, like, imagine, like, a Cold War set in a post-apocalypse, like... Yeah, well, that's, that's a, a thing, too. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of games that have followed that kind of setting. That's really, you know, like, that's where Rifts is. Oh, yeah, Rifts was another one that I was gonna say is post-apocalypse, you know? We didn't really talk about that, but I really... Can we talk about Rifts for a minute? Absolutely. I want to play it, but I'm afraid to. Well, we'll figure out a way to do something, because I have a stack of books for it, and I'm seriously, seriously contemplating, and I'll mention this on the show because it's still active for a little bit, and this one's going to go out quick enough that I can throw a link in it. There is also currently a Humble Bundle out for all the Pinnacle Savage Rifts stuff. I think to get the whole bundle, it's 27 or 28 bucks. Again, it's all PDFs, and you still do need the Savage Worlds core book. So let me understand that. That's Savage Worlds using the Rift setting, kind of like what they're doing with Pathfinder? Yes. Okay. I don't know the details as to conversions. I have never, ever looked at any of it, but I do know it is officially licensed by Palladium. The, the issue with Palladium is that, I don't know how to say this nicely, I absolutely love the setting and the world and I forever will. It's one of the first games I ever fell in love with. But the rule set suffers from being an early 80s simulationist do-everything game, which is exactly what it was, okay? So that's, how do you want to say it? It's it's like saying it's bad for because it is what it was, but the biggest problem with it is that instead of doing revisions or anything to pare it back, they have just kept expanding and expanding and expanding to where, like, I think I have a a master skills list from the late 90s that takes up an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper in landscape with four or five columns in, that's your skill list. So like you were talking about, 
oh yeah, it's it's absolutely just like it defines the concept of skill bloat. And then the other thing is that, and again, given the era it was made, this is, so to speak, to be expected. The books are laid out in a very 1980s desktop publishing format. For the books that came out in the 80s and even up through the mid-90s, maybe even the late 90s, again, I can accept that because it's not fair to compare a game to a standard that wasn't there when it was written. However, there have since been revised editions, not new editions, just supposedly reformatted and relayed out. And while I have not ever gotten to see one physically, I have gotten a chance to look at some digital versions of them. And the layout and utility in these books is poor. It takes forever to find anything. Information is scattered hither and yon throughout the book. And again, part of this too, I've been reading the PDF for Cyberpunk Red. The PDF for Cyberpunk Red is so thoroughly hyperlinked, it is ridiculous. If it tells you, see page whatever, you click where it says, see page whatever, and you go to that page. You can have stuff spread out if you're dealing with it in a digital format like that. The Palladium books don't even tell you in the print version to see page whatever. Yeah. It, it just goes over things, and you're like, where is it? I have actually gone looking for things that I know are in the books, and it's taken me 45 minutes to an hour to find them. And we're talking a rule as simple as how many attacks a character gets in a combat round before any additional skills are added. Wow. Sorry, go ahead. I went off on a little bit of a rant there. No, it's fine. I, I appreciate your rant because I'm currently looking into a couple things. No, I, I just, the world is so cool, dude. Oh, it is very much. One of these days, I'll, I'll, I'll bring a handful of my books. You can take a look at them because yeah. the, the, the world concept is just amazing. It just bums me out that the books are so bad. And the bad part is, is that, you know, we want to say that, it, oh, it's, it's the 80s, man. It was, that was what they were doing at the time. And it's because it was a this or that. No, because I've read other, I can't remember. I'd like a weird random book that I'd picked up from the dollar. Like our local gaming store had a dollar bin where somebody had brought in a bunch of books and it was stuff they couldn't really find or sell. So I picked mm -hmm. up a couple like $1, $2 RPGs. Old stuff, you know, from right around the time that Rifts came out. And just, like, even that one where, like, and one of the, I don't remember what the name of the book is, but one of the things I really appreciated was if they referenced something, they gave a page number and a marking on the page where it would be. So, like, it was, say you were talking about, you roll this stat, this stat, this stat, this stat, and then you decipher your psionics. And it would say psionics, like, would be bolded, and then parentheses, page 48, column 2. Very specifically, it would be like, hey, if you're if you're reading this, it tells you to go here to finish this this thought. And then the that psionics section was, say, maybe in a bigger section. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Say there was more context around psionics, but it would just be like, hey, for character creation, you need to pop over here for a second, but come back. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to look up real quick to see when Rifts came out. 90. No, it was earlier than that. I'm almost positive. Copyright 1983. Oh, 83. Okay. So I, I was looking at an older one then. Because the, the yep. third printing looks to be... Yeah, 83. You're right. Yeah. There was another copyright in 90 when they probably released an updated version. Or something, yeah. Changed the graphics a little bit or whatever. Well, I know there was a book for it released in 05 too that was updated. That's the one you were talking about with the, like, they changed it some. There's one called Ultimate Edition that I don't remember when it came out, but I, I've seen the PDF for it, and I hate to say it, but it's no better. I, and they they do have an index. I will give them that. Yeah, I think the only thing that the Ultimate Edition probably adds is that index. Yeah, I'd have to look at it. But to put it in, in perspective, and you've seen Cyberpunk 2020, 89, I believe, is the, the original copyright date on that. Mm -hmm. in, in terms of... The tools available to make the books, we're not talking at a, about a great deal of difference. But the thing that, for lack of a better word, irritates me is that they've continued to just pump out splat books and everything they still come out with is still, at least everything that I've seen, is still laid out the same way. Yeah. And like, look, I, I, I get that you can't go back and redo 40 splat books. I get that completely. 
but you could at least change the way you're doing the new ones. If they would put out a revised edition of the core book that was laid out in a way that was actually usable, I might actually go buy it. And here's a, a thing to put that in perspective. I was into this game enough. I bought the special edition hardcover in the mid-90s because there was a gold edition and the silver edition. And the gold edition was really limited. I have the silver edition. Yeah, I, I wish that game wasn't the way it is. I really do. Because everything I see about Rifts, every, every time I look into it, I go, this seems awesome. And then I look further into character creation and the math involved in that and then other things with the game. And I'm like, that's prohibitive on a major level. Like, it's prohibitive on a level that we really try to get away from in games nowadays. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, I don't know of many RPGs out there that are actively trying to be prohibitive to the players anymore. Mm -hmm. That was a thing from the 80s is that, like, they wanted it to be like, oh, no, no, you don't take this seriously. Well, then you don't you don't get to take this seriously. Yeah. Like, if you don't take this game seriously, you don't get to play it. And that was <laughs> stuff that like Rifts did. Vampire did that a little bit, which 90s. But Vampire did that a little bit was like, yeah, well, this is prohibitively like, bro, it's gatekeeping. We're really trying now to get away from that completely. And that shows in the swing just to go off on a mini tangent, but it shows in the swing of games from, like, think back to how many games were, like, rules-heavy back in the day, and now everything's getting to a point where it's like, we have a streamlined rule system, and it's rules-light, or it's powered by the apocalypse, or it's based off Savage Worlds, or it's, you know... Yeah, and I will say, I think, to a certain point, some of my, my memories of Rifts and its character creation are what make me a little bit hesitant at times when talking about more toolbox type systems like Genesis or Savage Worlds or Cortex. You know, some of these games, it's like, well, my brain triggers back to Palladium where it was like, there's a rule for everything, but God knows where any of them are. Well, I think that's one of the things, and I, granted, I haven't read the Genesis book and I haven't read Cortex because I don't really know Cortex. But that's one of the things I know with GURPS that they've been trying to get away from is rather than making a rule for everything, they just give you rules on how to make fair rules for the things you want to do. Well, the one thing that, that GURPS does a lot of books for specific genres. Right, exactly. And that's that's what I mean by they do a core book and then they go, here's genre stuff, but they also go, here's how to make a rule that's fair. They They do lay that out a bit too. Okay, I, I've honestly never never read a GURPS book. I have because I, I really like GURPS. I do. I'm sorry. Did you know their cyberpunk book got them raided by the Secret Service? What? No. Is it the Secret Secret Service, the Treasury Department, or the FBI? <sighs> the story's on the internet. Look it up. All right, hold on. <laughs> Again, put this in perspective. When I was playing Rifts heavily in college and I was running the game, I was quite familiar with the system. It would take me at that point, probably, if it was all I was doing, an hour and 15 minutes to make a character. So they were raided by the Secret Service in, an in, in a nationwide investigation of data privacy because of their cyberpunk stuff, because of their hacking. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> that's so weird. Like, that's not cool for them, but now it's like, that's neat. <laughs> Sorry, I derailed your train hard. No, that's okay. I don't know if you heard me talking about character gen at all or not. Yeah, you said about character generation and how it was, it's it's very difficult and it takes a long time to do. The worst part of it is, okay, you have to pick out all these skills. So you're going and writing these down. Then you have to go back and check what level they start at. And then you have to apply the bonuses that you get depending on what tier you took your skill in. Because you'll have skills in three different tiers, and the bonuses that you get to the skill will be different depending on which tier you took the skill in. That's ridiculous. That's just that's just asinine. Like it's it's just what it is. Yes, and and okay. So at this point, wouldn't it be wonderful if there was a list and that may be the four or five column sheet that I was referring to? I, I'd go dig through the pile of paperwork to try and find it, but I don't want to make that much noise on the mic. But anyway. That may have actually had a list of the the starting point for all the skills on it. But normally, the only way for you to get 
those those starting skill numbers, and this is a D100 based skill system, is you would have to go through the book and the only place that these percentages were listed was in the broken out skill description. So so we're talking about, you know, I don't know, 15 pages of skill descriptions and you got to find the one you need and then you got to find the next one you need. And it's like, oh, that's just annoying. Like, that's just that. And, and like I said, I, I absolutely love the world. And like I said, I've got, well, let's see, I can see probably at least 10 Riffs books in my collection from where I'm sitting. And that does, yeah, I mean, that's, that's talking physical books, not, not digital. That's, that just sucks. Like that just sucks. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, and and so what I would kind of hope to get out of the Savage Rifts thing is, is some sort of conversion template or table to at least have a clue of of how they're converting this stuff because I don't expect them to have everything that I already have for Rifts. Much less like I just had a, a list up and there are thirty some what they call world books, which are their bigger setting books. There's probably at least 40 to 50 splat books out for this game. But in any case, we've we've gone down a tremendous rabbit hole and talked about a game that I both love and hate. And, and a game that I'm not going to say that nobody's heard of, but it's not that common nowadays, is it? <laughs> no, I actually, well, I actually had a conversation this morning on a Discord, not ours, unfortunately, but I, I did have a conversation on a Discord, short one about it, between yesterday and today with, I believe, the guys from Germany. No. Oh. Okay. Well, there you go. People are still talking about riffs. Yeah. Hi, folks. Future Steve here. As I was listening to this, going through to edit it, and having thought about it since we've recorded this episode, I just thought that I should say a couple words here to kind of add to what I've said. I, you know, I'm not going to back off of, of what I've said about the layout and so forth in the books, but I would say that part of what goes on with the riff system is that Partially due to the era in which it was written, it is really a game that begs to be your only game, or at least the main game that you play. Which is okay when you're a college student, or you know, in high school, that kind of thing. But as you get into adulthood, it's just not as feasible because your available time is different. So I just wanted to add that in. Thanks. And you know what? And I'll be honest, people were still talking about Cyberpunk 2020 before, Red, well, even still after Red comes out, because I'm sure there's people that are like, oh, it's different. It's different, but having gotten a decent amount read in the, in the rules part of it, I'm happy with it. Let's put it that way. I haven't digested it to the point where I could run it, I don't think, but it feels like they took the same game and advanced it, but looked at it again through a modern game design lens. I would be overjoyed if Palladium would do that with Rifts. And I think that's the best way I can say it. Yeah. yeah. If you're listening, Palladium, do the Cyberpunk Red treatment to Rifts. Yes. And just give us templates to be able to convert everything else to the new stuff. Okay. So before we went down, what was it, about a 20-minute tangent? Yeah, 30. <laughs> <laughs> In any case, so maybe this will end up being a two-part post-apocalyptic discussion. Oh, no. Because... Rifts is very much a post-apocalyptic game. The, the concept of the world is really, um, to guess, that's what we were, because we had a question from someone on Discord about what type of apocalypse we like, be it zombies or World War Three or natural disasters. And, and for me, I would say the World War Three or natural disaster, I just, I've never been one to be big into the zombie thing. If no. that's your jam, then good for you. It's not that I think it's dumb or whatever. It's just not my jam. Yeah, so zombie apocalypse, I like zombie apocalypses, but honestly, that's not my favorite type of apocalypse either. I think you can have a lot of fun with those, but I think those stories have a lot been played out. I'm very much like, I like playing with other causes of apocalypse. I think the thing with the zombie apocalypse is that on some level, it is continuous combat. Yeah. And yes, you can have other things going on in the background behind that, but it, it, I don't know. I, that's just kind of my sense of it. And maybe that's where, where it doesn't draw me so much. So for me and zombie apocalypses, I don't like zombie apocalypse where you are fighting, but it is about like maybe scraping by combat and maybe a little bit of combat here and there. My go-to on world ending stuff is just weird. I want to see what's the weirdest cause for the world to end. 
And that's what I want. I want to, like, I want to play with that. Playing with the idea of vampires. The whole premise of a vampire is that their their whole goal is to consume human blood, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what happens when we run out of humans? What happens when we've turned everyone into a vampire? What happens if we suck them all dry and now there's no more blood? Yeah. That's more interesting to me than now there's zombies. Now there's a million undead things everywhere. And, you know, you gotta be careful. You Sneak. As much as I like stealth, I get bored with stealth because it's like a lot of games, stealth mechanics are relying on you rolling dice efficiently or you rolling dice to get a number that satisfies the magical, you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it becomes a R-O-L-L game, not an R-O-L-E game. Right, and I just don't want that kind of randomization in my game. Like, I like random stuff, but I don't want you to be like, oh, well, you rolled badly, so you step on a twig and make a bunch of noise, and now you're surrounded. It's like, oh. Yeah. Well, I think, and that's where, you know, the one thing, I guess, to me that I like, and I would lean toward the World War Three or the natural disaster for me, as well, just because like, the zombie thing doesn't stir my imagination. No, I, I like World War Three. I like natural disasters, asteroids, that can be interesting, alien invasions are cool, or, and this is my favorite kind of apocalypse, an undefined apocalypse. Something happened, and the world has ended. What happened? Something. Yeah, and and I think I know what you're referencing there. I won't, I, I, I'll make y'all work for it, but we're referencing it a show that we have uh, talked about before. It's on the D20 network. They do an actual play, and it's really good. Right. I got hooked and binged all 18 or 20 episodes that are out now in the space of about a week. Right. And, and yeah, I, I, am, I am caught up and uh, really, really, really wants to know what comes next or, you know. Yeah. But for me, the most interesting apocalypse is not the what caused it. Here's a bit of inspiration for me and a story that's post-apocalyptic and doesn't really define what the apocalypse was, or at least if it does, please don't spoil it for me because I haven't gotten there yet. There's a cartoon called Adventure Time. I'm sure you've probably heard of it. Yes, I have heard of it. It is set after the post-apocalypse. Basically, early seasons are something happened, the world has ended, there are now, like, magic and weird fantasy creatures, and this is a just thing we have to deal with. Okay. So my problem with the show was always more about, I want to know what happened, and not so much about these characters, but I'll get over myself because the characters are really fun. But, again, that's a show about a post-apocalypse that doesn't get into the post-apocalypse. And I think that kind of... That gets to where, you know, apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic setting, you know, there, there are certain themes that kind of are what I guess you'd say the stories are usually built around. You know, one of the big ones, obviously, and then, you know, look at probably most of the movies we've referenced is, you know, is scarcity. Yeah. You know, and, and that can be, it, it doesn't have to be scarcity of any one thing. It could be scarcity of water. It could be scarcity of, well, in the case of water world of land. Well, water world, the scarcity is drinkable water, but... Well, yeah, okay, that's right. Yeah, it's, I've seen it, like, once a long time ago. Yeah, it's not a great movie, but it's fun. <laughs> and I, I read a book uh, a number of years back that had... It's an interesting hypothesis for an apocalypse that might be fun to play with in a game context, but the, the premise of this book was that this guy had developed this enzyme to help clean up oil spills and it would effectively eat up petroleum and so it, like again it was designed to to clean oil clean up oil spills well make a long story really really short it got into the hands of what could best be described as eco-terrorists who modified it a bit and then effectively weaponized it and released it and so not only did it start eating oil but it attacked like they like, like they released it in the um, I guess there's these sands that have a lot of oil deposited in them in Canada and they hit platforms in the Middle East and Alaska and all this stuff and the other thing that it did is it would eat anything that was a petroleum byproduct so we're talking about plastics a lot of rubbers and so forth and so this caused 
you know, at, at the end of the book, I think he's riding a bicycle with hard wheels because that's all that's left. Right. Apocalypse is that one's a really good one. Uh, scarcity. We talked about that survival, finding enough food to survive, finding enough water, to survive, keeping a group alive. That's mm-hmm. another, you know, survival is not just about you. Sometimes, sometimes it's about keeping the city going. You know, maybe you have five people who are all NPCs, but you got to keep them alive and keep them going. Well, okay. Now you got a lot of weight on your back, uh, rebuilding. And that goes right into that from there is that you go from having 10 people in a city to 20 to 30 to now there's now you're starting to get infrastructure back up mm-hmm. well, but to circle back to, to scarcity and tie it into that maybe your scarcity is is human contact or maybe human maybe not exact thing but you know and so yeah you, your scarcity is contact with other people and so you're you're trying to rebuild i mean not to talk about current events, but if this current pandemic would have happened maybe the year 2000, maybe 20 years ago, oh, it would be miserable. Oh, without the internet as we have it now? Yeah, it would be it would be literally unbearable. And I mean, it's it's not good now, but it would be a whole lot worse if we didn't have anywhere, any way of getting in contact with people other than, you know, traditional phones. Yeah. You know, with scarcity comes exploration exploration and rediscovery kind of goes hand in hand with that you know even to the extent of does your game start with you're crawling out from under a rock and what the hell happened yeah i mean that's that's a perfectly great way to start a post-apocalyptic game or again um to reference the postman and again i i've watched it a couple times but it's been years and years but if i'm not mistaken doesn't that start with him waking up in the middle of the forest after no one's really sure what happened pretty much yeah so, I mean, that's a lot of people think of, of blasted waste when they think of apocalypse. But to me, you know, The Postman is, is an apocalypse film. It's probably the most that movie's been referred to in a long time is tonight. But anyway. <laughs> you know what's a good, a good post-apocalypse movie? 1975 is A Boy and His Dog. Well, and, and to a certain point, depending on the, the lens you look at it from, you, one could classify Demolition Man as, a, as an apocalypse movie. If you look at it from the perspective of Stallone and Snipes' characters, or am I stretching a little bit there? Not Snipes' character. If you look at it from the perspective of Stallone's character, yes. Snipes' character just comes in and is like, ah, a world to end. <laughs> I'm just saying. One character's like, this sucks. And the other character's like, huh, this is a new world for me to end. All right, cool. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like I said, and I think the thing that's cool about post-apocalyptic things is that they can allow you to explore a lot of themes like you know you were talking about your idea with with vampires and and you know that's that's really a resource management yeah and how does that tie into you know be it views on on the environment or or whatever you know and i'm not trying to tell anyone what they should think on any issue i'm just saying that like some of these things can be analogs for other things depending on what you want to do right and it goes back to, we talked about inspiration. All right, pull inspiration. And when it comes to apocalypse stuff, again, not to talk about it, but we do have a pandemic going on, and that's scary. And the point of most apocalypse games is to be scary. Yeah, in some way or other. I think survival is probably the the core the core theme, really, with most of them. And the concept of survival is scary. You know, it's it's the fear of not being that drives you. Yeah, just some cool stuff out there. Yeah. I know a lot of people hear Apocalypse and they really think Mad Max, and that's, in some ways, yes, but in other ways, there are more interesting stories to tell set in the Apocalypse. Okay, uh, how do I put this? I've read a lot of Asimov, and I've talked about this back when we talked about Inspiration, and Asimov talks, there's a couple stories that he's written about basically robots in the apocalypse and that's a really cool idea rebuilding after the apocalypse with a race that's not human anymore Mm -hmm. um it's just there's some cool stuff and play with the idea because when you say the word apocalypse and your brain goes oh this go what's that look like if i turn it on its head yeah and i i talk about this a lot about taking ideas and turning them on their head 
but that's what I do to try and make things interesting. Yeah, I do that a lot too. I kind of get an idea and then I go, well, what if I did this alongside it? I like to take an idea and change perspective. What does this look like from the bad guy's point of view? Yeah. You know, I'm a big Star Wars guy. And I like to look at those movies and go, what does this look like from a stormtrooper's point of view? This is terrifying. <laughs> like, yeah, well, that's, um, you know, and that's what I was, I, I was listening to somebody recently on a podcast or something this week, and they were talking about that. They said, you know, they, they think that their favorite villains are the villains that are right in their own mind. I can understand that. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I can understand that logic. You know, like they even said, you know, they're not trying to say that that's what everyone has to think, but that if the villain or the antagonist, we'll even call it, thinks they're doing the right thing, it's a different thing than Snidely Whiplash always tying someone to the train tracks. Right. I agree. Yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like sometimes you have to have a villain whose ideas are justified or whose plan is logical to a fault. I mean, there's there's a lot of movies that the bad guy is like, but I'm doing this for the... Like, he's doing the right thing for the wrong reasons, or even vice versa. He's doing the wrong thing for the right reasons. Yeah. We talk about the Joker a little bit, where he's just a man that wants to watch the world burn, and very strict opposition to that. You have a villain like Thanos from the Marvel Universe, who in those movies, in the movies particularly... His whole goal is to do it for the betterment of everyone. Like, I'm going to eradicate half of the population to make this better. Yeah. And everybody just goes, well, do, well you mean eradicate half of the population? Like, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I just think apocalyptic settings, post-apocalyptic settings, just it, you can apply these to, it doesn't have to be, you know, Look, we, we talk about drive through RPG a lot on, on this show because, well, that's where you find a lot of these games. You know, there's other places, you know, itch, so on and so forth. But the post-apocalyptic genre is actually a subgenre of sci-fi on drive through And while that is where a lot of it takes place, I would I would put riffs in that thing. You know, a lot of um, the, the Genesis one salvage that I brought up a couple of weeks ago. But in a strict context of the word, Matt Mercer's, D&D world that Critical Role plays in is post-apocalyptic. You know, they had the, the cataclysm and, and whatever that did all kind of... Now, they're far enough removed from it. It doesn't have as many of the themes, although they're exploring some of that more in, in the second campaign. You know, so, I mean, don't, don't think that you can't have a post-apocalyptic fantasy game. I mean, it could be that the dragons decide, you know what, we're tired of hiding in caves. And, and just dealing with people, we're just going to come out and wipe out the people. Well, very, very serious animated film from a director who directed a bunch of adult animated films. Ralph Bakshi put out a movie in the 70s animated called Wizards. It's a post-apocalypse movie. Have you ever heard of Wizards, Steve? I don't think so. Okay, the idea of Wizards, and I'm going to spoil this movie from like 1974. I'm sorry. Basically, the world ends due to nuclear holocaust, and there are two dueling factions. There's the essentially the decent people and then the evil people. And the evil one is a lich who is summoning armies of the undead and using Nazi propaganda to run his regime. Fascinating movie. Like, it's one of the mm. most interesting animated features I've seen ever. That does sound interesting. It's so neat because the the world didn't have magic until the apocalypse happened. Mm -hmm. The apocalypse was a cataclyst to give the world magic. And it's about these two dueling wizards and it just, it, it takes a really cool turn. It, it's a post-apocalyptic movie that just is completely different from anything that you'll see. And that's great inspiration. Yeah. And and that's the thing, you know, like you've said, the inspiration episode we did, what was that, episode 12, 13? 12, wasn't it? 12, yeah, I think. You know, it's where you find it. And don't be afraid to take a piece of this and a piece of that and put it all together. A good a good RPG campaign is, is effectively a casserole. <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> you're right, sort of. I know, again, it's a weird analogy, but... 
you know, I can follow your logic. I understand where you're coming from. It's you, know, you put a bunch of crap in a pot and darn it. It actually, I mean, again, you know, it, that can go horribly wrong too, if you don't curate it right. But I've been told by listeners that they like our stream of consciousness episodes. Well, that's good. I'm glad. I, I think I they got they that do, this because week. Because if they don't, <laughs> if we're not changing it this point. If, if they don't like that, I'm not changing it now. It's too late. We're 15 episodes in. Deal with it. <laughs> I'm set in my ways. So uh, do you have anything more you wanted to say about the apocalyptic settings and so forth? The end is nigh. The end is nigh. No, um, no, not really. I would start singing Christmas at Ground Zero, but oh, yeah. well, I want to keep the listeners we have, and me singing is not a good way to keep them. <laughs> I list. Hey, I want to shout out when we did no. I listened to that song from Hamilton because I I don't like Hamilton. Okay. Okay. I listened to that song from Hamilton, and and that's a solid no from me. All right, I'm not <laughs> singing that. Okay. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, Jesse brought that up, didn't he? Yeah, he did. No, I just wanted to shout out and say, no, I'm not singing that song. See, there's one of the points which I say no, and I'm pretty firm about it. <laughs> but, um, well, let's get into Game of the Week. Game of the Week? Game of the Week. Game of the Week. So I'll go first. All right, good. You go first. I'll go first. I'm excited. So we both like evil hat games, right? Uh, yeah, they do a lot of neat stuff. Did you know? I didn't know. Uh, they're putting out a Dresden Files RPG. Oh, cool. Yeah, I, um... You've talked about them quite a bit. So, the the Dresden Files is a book series by Jim Butcher. I'm a big fan of it because it's a really cool take on fantasy set in a modern setting with a noir twist. Okay. You know, it it, it is... He, he originally set out to make this very pulpy... And so that got my attention, and it is. It feels like a noir pulp drama with a fantasy twist, and the the magic, and the world, and the fae, and the vampires, and the werewolves, and the, the wizards, and everything that they put into it, everything that he puts into that book series is so intriguing. This character's voice, like our main character has a very distinctive voice, and so they... It's tough to do an RPG based off the Dresden Files, and I'll say that because I read the other one. Mm -hmm. And it's tough because the Dresden Files is really about Harry Dresden, and it's very difficult to do an RPG based about a guy because you got a couple people that want to play this game, not just one. Right. So the take that the new version is going on is they have basically a friend of a side character. And we're following over to, from Chicago to Baltimore. Okay. And all of the interesting character dynamics that Baltimore brings out. We have pre-made characters in this quick start and just stuff to throw it down on the table and play it. It just looks really good. I want to get it on my table. I want to get my friends going because I'm the only Dresden Files fan, but... That doesn't mean that I can't be like, hey, play this RPG and silently get them into the Dresden Files. Yeah, well, like, okay, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I have never read any of it. Wasn't there, was there a TV series? There was a TV series. The TV series is okay. <laughs> I've not watched any of it, but what you've described to me of the setting, I would have fun playing in it. Yeah, and the setting's neat. That's one of the things that Jim Butcher really does well, is he gets his setting right, and with this being an evil hat game, the production quality's through the roof. Also, the the story seems really strong. You've got famous Baltimore places. You have area descriptions, like the John Hopkins Hospital, the Edgar Allan Poe House and Museum. Mm-hmm. Very descriptive places, using real places in Baltimore, which means that you know what that makes it really easy for? I grab a map of Baltimore and slap it on the table. Yeah. That's why I like playing cyberpunk in Pittsburgh, because then I can just grab a map of Pittsburgh and be like, good luck, figure it out. <laughs> well, that's the thing. For me, that's why I love modern settings or near modern settings, because if you need a building or a street map, I mean, you got a smartphone, you've got a zillion of them at your fingertips. Yeah, exactly. 
Big fan of the Dresden Files. This looks really good. I'm excited to see what the full book looks like. I'm excited to get my hands on it. And from what I've read, now granted, I just brought this up today. I didn't know this existed until today. But from what I've read, it's it's going to be good. Yeah, it sounds sounds interesting. I think one of the big things that I really enjoy, and I'll just go off on a quick tangent. One of the big things I really enjoy with the Dresden Files is how they play with Fae and, and Fairy World and like Dungeons and Dragons isn't as, isn't as in-depth as it is in the Dresden Files. Every major player has their own, like the wizards have their own society, the vampires have their own society, the werewolves are sort of loners, which is kind of neat, because wolves. And the Fae have their own world. Like, you gotta cross <laughs> through an entire portal to get over there. Yeah, what do you got? What do I have? Well, you know, I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know, I, I really ought to tie it in a little bit to the post-apocalyptic theme. And so my initial thought was rifts. Well, look, here's the thing. I went off on it earlier. I don't need to say it all again. No, we'll be here for another half hour, Steve. Please say it all again. <laughs> <laughs> so so then it's like, well, okay, do I do Savage Rifts? Well, I, I haven't had a chance to actually see that to know if it gives me the same feeling. So I went and, and I pulled basically what, you, what you've said you do. I went, went on RPG and went to the neat little genre tab, and, well, I found that post-apocalyptic is under sci-fi. So I went scrolling through titles until I found something interesting. And this is what I found. It's a, a game called Fragged Empire. Ooh, I've actually heard of this one. And they also, by the way, the, the core book, the PDF, is only 10 bucks, but they also have a free Kickstart, or Quick Start, not Kickstart. In addition to, as, as I was doing, it appears there's a decent amount of support content out there for it. Uh, it's, it's, it is a sci-fi post-apocalyptic thing, but they, they, they did it with... Basically, there's two sentences as as the description on drive through, but it's really good. It says, and this is in quotations. I'm assuming it's text somewhere in the book. It says, "Betrayed by your creators, you are a genetically engineered remnant emerging from the ruin of a of genocidal war." And then dot 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 close quotation marks and set in a far post post apocalypse, four non human races seek to build a new society for themselves after barely surviving a genocidal war. And this is put out by an Australian company called Design Ministries. But the one thing that, that I, and this is going to sound weird, but I really like their listing on DriveThruRPG. It talks about the themes of the game. You know, it actually talks about rules focuses. They actually, again, linked on the DriveThruRPG listing. There's videos that they've done for character creation and the core resolution mechanics. You know, so they're, they're doing a lot of stuff to make this game really accessible mechanically. I, I didn't get a chance because I only downloaded it earlier today to read the quick start, but the resolution mechanic, it's a 3D6 mechanic, so it's not terribly complicated. It, it, again, it, it just it looks like a really fun game. I want to pipe in and say that I like that it's optimized for miniatures combat as well. You there? Hello? Hi folks, Future Steve here again. I had some technical difficulties while we were recording the very end of this episode, and I've tried my best to rebuild them, but basically somehow my computer just stopped recording me for a few seconds here and there, and so I've done my best to patch it together, but if it's a little scratchy or anything like that, again, I apologize, but I have no idea what happened. Done my best to fix it. Thanks. Yeah, I, I can hear you now. I wanted to pipe in and say I, I really like that it's optimized for miniatures combat. Yeah. Because you don't see that out of a lot of games where it's like, like Dungeons and Dragons does it, but that's because it was born out of being a minis game. But this one is like, yeah, we built this with the idea that you would use minis to play the game. Yeah. Well, another thing here's, here, it says best for long sandbox games. Huh. Nice too. Yeah. Like, I, I'm really curious to see this because, like, it ticks a lot of boxes for me without getting a chance to really read the quick starter and, and see what it actually says because, well, haven't had a chance to read things that I've had for a while. Just no time. Yeah. This, I'm definitely enjoying that one. That looks cool. I'm going to hope that we can get that on a table. And Well, and then like, okay, one of the, the pages in the, in the preview, and it's just an art piece, but it's like in the foreground of the picture, you've got this person, humanoid we'll call it, standing on top of what I'm guessing is a dead giant bug thing with a rifle in one hand looking out into a city where there's what looks like 
almost like a tremors worm. Yeah. A bunch of dead bug things. Yeah. Yeah. And like the city looks like it's kind of on fire and exploding. And then the one below it looks like it's, it's like this dude walking down the street, smoking a cigarette with this little droid hover drone thingy next to him, you know, like. Right. Or the, or the big ape man with like in the tundra. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like the weird green hacker chick. I like that. Like. Yeah. It's neat, man. It's neat. I like it. I dig it. It was on my radar for a reason. And I don't know how it ended up there, but I remember it getting there and being like, that's a that's a name I remember. And yeah, it, it's going to be cool. Yeah, I, I may have to run that quick start for some of our Discord people or something at some point. Yeah, let me know, because I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> what else we got this week? News? I don't recall seeing anything. Still, I, I've been watching drive through to see if the uh, the quick start for the new Terminator game has, has come out yet, and I haven't haven't seen it yet haven't seen anything on nightfall's twitter or anything either but that's was supposed to be out sometime december so i mean we're still early in december you see anything interesting not recently well then i suppose you know meaning if i do you'll hear about it on game of the week because (laughs) i'm not gonna give that up now (laughs) yeah steve what do you got what do you like what you've been looking at what do you like on there what what, what, gotta listen to the podcast (laughs) You gotta listen to the podcast. But yeah, I mean, like, okay. But I mean, I guess with that, then maybe, you know, um, you know, if you listen to the show, well, obviously, if you're hearing this, you listen to the show. But if you like it, tell your friends, leave us a review. According to people who know a lot more about how these things work than I do, that actually affects, like, how easy it is for other people to find it. Or like, you know, like in the, the thing where it says, if you like this podcast, maybe you like these other ones. It helps us show up more there. It helps the quote-unquote algorithm put us out there, get us more views, and and share the podcast with more people. And and that's not saying anything about us not being grateful because you guys are awesome. You know, I I love waking up every morning and seeing all the messages in our Discord and all the conversations happening here and over. And being part of the D twenty network's been awesome. And yeah, gratitude doesn't say the least of it. You know, when we we started this out, we were like, oh, well, for the first year, we're probably only going to get about two downloads. <laughs> and, and to have this much growth in, in this amount of time, it's it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So a big thank you to all of you out there listening to us. Yeah. I, I want to shout out. We, we usually shout out people from well different areas. Um, We've gotten a couple downloads in Australia, one from Tasmania. Our, our fan in Singapore, we want to shout you out, you know. Uh, the, we got one this month sometime from Belgium too and yeah Belgium and Germany we've been getting a couple from Germany and Europe you know everybody in Europe we I I have friends in Europe and I feel you but yeah I mean you know email us or or you know hop on the discord hop on the discord email us send us a message on Facebook yeah you know there's links for all that stuff down in the show notes Twitter you're on your uh steve runs our twitter so yes well steve runs our facebook too but well yeah it's steve runs our discord it's weird (laughs) the guy's very busy (laughs) (laughs) but yeah you you know any any form of our media will go to someone named steve i hear i hear that steve uh edits the episodes and also helps write them and like hosts it's oh no he doesn't help write them oh no he doesn't help write them at all (laughs) Uh, he he hosts too. That's Steve guy. He does a lot. <laughs> but no, yeah. Shout out to shout out to all of our fans out there, and thank you. You know, thank you for checking us out. And if you stuck around, that's great. If you didn't stick around, well, sorry to see you go. If you're not listening to another episode of ours, please tell me why. If it's because we're rambling, we can try. But I I hear a lot of people like that. Well, oh, that's the other thing. Steve is the complaint department. Yeah, Steve is the complaint department. If you see, uh, I think both of our names on Discord now are me and Steve from Steve and Steve. Something or along Steve those lines. from me and Steve or something along those lines. I think you're Steve from me and Steve. And depending on where you're at, actually, if you see someone on the internet anywhere by the name of Wire Dude, it's a good chance it's me. Um, I think I'm like Wire Dude 3 on Twitter or something. Yeah, I, I try to. I tried to change all of my stuff over from to Steve from me and Steve just to make things confusing. <laughs> well, I, what's I, weird is your old tag still works. 
Yeah, I know. It's because that's what the actual tag is, but I don't want to shout that out here because I love y'all, but I don't want you blowing me up. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, thank you for checking us out this week. Be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Yes, be kind. Go play some RPGs. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can also find us at facebook.com slash meandsteverpg. Thank you and be kind to each other. How much for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. Because if you're like, oh man, the, you know, this, like, uh, what do you call that? My brain just walked away. Um, <laughs> oh, I hate when mine does that. And yeah. it happens far All too right, often. It's fine. It, it wasn't that important. Anyways. <laughs> um, if you're also listening, I could use a, a nice job in the industry. I don't do much, but. <laughs> I can't write that well, but I mean like <laughs> <sighs>